Welcome back to Out of Curiosity. This is our podcast where we are seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. I'm Nick. I'm Garland. And uh, hey, today um, we are now two weeks out from the killing of George Floyd. And uh, it, it has been a an event that, that really shocked and horrified um, people in our nation and the world right? Um, who've seen this video. And, and, um, and I think one of the things, an event like that by itself is shocking and horrifying. Um, but one of the things as a nation that we've been wrestling with is that's not an isolated event. Right. It points to something much bigger and it's a part of something much bigger. And so it has led to um, a lot of conversations um, about justice and, and about what does uh, racial injustice look like and what is our response. And so um, we want to take some time just to do what, what we always try to do on this podcast, which is seek some biblical clarity. And so uh, we're going to take a few episodes to ask some biblical questions, to listen to some voices from within our community, and, and to try to gain some clarity on what a Christ-like response to what's going on is. And so today we want to start with a question. Um, we hear this phrase, social justice. And one of the things that comes up a lot is a, a choice, it seems like, a church has to make between do we preach social justice or do we preach the gospel? Mm-hmm. Which one is it? And sometimes those divide into kind of a conservative versus liberal label and divide. And so um, we want to ask the question, is that a false dichotomy to pit those two against each other? What, do the, what does the Bible teach us on this issue? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you know, obviously these last two weeks have been, uh, they've been painful. Uh, they have been confusing. Uh, I think that they have been uh necessary, some of the conversations that we're having. And what what we want to do is we want to think and put our worldview through a biblical lens and not through a uh, through a, the loudest voice lens or, and not through, uh, you know, what we've always heard kind of lens. And so I think to, to, to your question, uh, I think that's a false dichotomy. I think when we look at how the gospel impacts uh, not just the society that Jesus brings it into, but then as the early church takes it out into the Roman world, it touches, it's going to touch every single part of society. It's going to be necessarily, we might say, social and political. And, uh, and we're going to, we're going to get into that as we go. So, um, what we want to do, like we frequently do, I think, on Out of Curiosity, is we got to go back to page one. We got to go back to the beginning. Really, you're going to yeah. take us to there, Genesis there's 1? There's a surprise. We've got to start with Genesis chapter one. And I think uh, as Christians, uh, this is what I, I I want us to learn how to think. I want us to to put that into practice when we engage these things in our world, because to have these conversations as a Christian apart from a biblical lens would be wholly inappropriate. Uh, and so we want to we want to understand rightly our Bible. And I actually think when we bring that to bear, it, it is the answer. It actually is the answer right. that we need. And so we shouldn't run from it. We should be excited uh, to take this worldview into our culture. And so with that, let's look at Genesis chapter one. Uh, Nick, if you don't mind, uh, we, we've gone to Genesis 1, 26 and 27 numbers of times in this podcast. Um, and so you you can go back and look in previous ones about how did the fall affect us and questions of uh, humanity and all that. But read uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 for us, and we'll get rolling here. Great. And I'm reading from the NIV, Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
Okay, and obviously I think we know this is, this is supposed to be cool. This is the image of God, the Imago Dei kind of passage. But we frequently, I think, don't even necessarily know what exactly that means. And the more we've learned about the ancient culture, the ancient Mesopotamian, Near Eastern, Egyptian culture, the more wow. it's brought— ancient I know, Mesopotamian. I know, I'm sorry. Say that again? Uh, ancient Mesopotamian, Assyrian, Egyptian culture. We've got, we've got to go there because it helps, us, it helps sure. inform for us what the biblical author is doing. And so in the ancient world— what what, what happened would be whatever the deities of that culture. Now remember, there were gods for everything. There were gods for the crops and the sun and the wind and the rain and the fertility, gods for everything. And what would happen is the ancient people would place an idol or an image of their particular deity in a temple. And they were placed in that temple to bring the blessing of that deity into their land so that the blessing of that deity would then enable them to flourish. That was what an image or an idol of a deity functioned, uh, how it functioned in the ancient world. And if there were any humans made in the image of God, we don't see this image of God concept in ancient, uh, in ancient culture, except for we see occasionally there will be a human made in God's image, the image of whatever the deity was in the ancient culture, and it was always the king. And, and the question, why, why the king? Like, why would the king be made in the deity's image? Well, it's pretty simple. He has power, and that king then, the people serve him as his slaves and as his subjects, and he receives the, the, the privilege of that, and everybody else essentially gets in line. And if you think about that ancient Near Eastern perspective on how the gods work with humans— the deity comes in the form of an idol, and maybe one person called the king is made in the image of the deity, and everybody else is a slave in the subject. And here comes the Genesis account. And we have to, it's hard for us to appreciate this. We're not ancient Near Eastern people, but think of how worldview shattering, how earth shattering it would have been for uh, a Hebrew person. Remember, these are, runaway, these are former slaves mm-hmm. to be told, you know what? It's not the king that's made in the image of God only. All of you, male, female, all of you, black, white, Hebrew, non-Hebrew, every single person has been made in the image of God to represent the beauty and wonder and awesomeness, just like this, that statue would do in the temple. Humans are that, all of us. The, a child is that, the elderly, those, we're all representing the beauty and wonder and goodness. And just like the, the idol would do in the ancient temple, we would take the blessing of the presence of Yahweh out into the rest of the creation. That's our function. That's our mandate. That's awesome. That's beautiful. And it, it comes with an inherent dignity and value and worth. And man, that's a great place for us to be able to start. It's powerful. And I think one of the things that's really, I think, um, surprising to me is we tend to think our very modern notions of democracy and human rights, we tend to think that's some new concept that only us modern people have discovered. And you're showing us that this is rooted in the, the deepest, most ancient traditions of the biblical story. It's there in, 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 in the biblical stories where this has, we might say spread out into the rest, the rest of culture. They're, they're, they're drawing this from this biblical idea and man, that that's beautiful. Even starting right there, that is so profound that every person is worthy of dignity. The homeless, uh, somebody who's growing up in the third world, somebody who's growing up, uh, with some sort of mental disability or disorder, like that's still a person in God's image, and that is worthy of treating a certain way. And I, I know I've heard, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said something along the lines of, this truth 
should lead us to the place where literally every human we approach, we approach like we're approaching royalty. That's beautiful. Like that, 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 that the way if you were meeting a foreign dignitary, like that's the way every human, every human, every single human, you're walking up to royalty. And, and we got to wrap up. First, we got to start here. And I, and I know we're hammering on this because that alone, I think that alone is powerful as we as followers of Jesus carry that message into our culture right now with yeah. what's going on in our world. And what, we, we, what we're noticing in this Genesis 1:26 and 27 is it says, it notes that God gave dominion. He gave power, we might say. So I love the king's, the royalty. There's a power that comes with that. Mm-hmm. There is a dominion. We are to take the blessing of Yahweh into the nations. We have been given and gifted power that we might represent Yahweh in the world. We got the story. That's beautiful. Now, what we're going to see as the, the, what we call the fall, it really starts in Genesis 3, but it, it will work all the way through. I like to call it the ripple effects, like a stone in a pond, mm-hmm. rippling effect out to Genesis chapter 11. What we're going to see is humans have taken that power, and instead of give, gifting it out into the world, they have instead taken that power, and they have tried to grasp that power and take that power on their own terms for themselves. It's the offer of the serpent in Genesis 3, and when humans, instead of receiving dominion from God as a gift that they then take out as a privilege into the world, instead, when they begin to clamor for that power on their own terms, it necessarily will lead to humans looking at other humans no longer as royalty, but as competitors, Mm. as people that we have to rise above and them below. And so that gift that God has given has now been thwarted and hijacked and messed up and it's been it's been ruined in a sense and now we look at each other as somebody to dominate as somebody to conquer as somebody to rule and we see that begin to ripple out in the story of Genesis 3 to 11 we see it with Cain and Abel we see it with Lamech if you would read Genesis chapter 4 verse 23 and 24 we don't note this very often look at look at how Lamech tells of his beautiful city that he's building, this random character here in Genesis 4. So Genesis 4, verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. You've got a guy bragging essentially about his ability to kill and dominate. Look at the ripple effects, and it's going to culminate in the Tower of Babel, as we call it, chapter 11 of Genesis. Think about what this is presenting to us. You've got a, a group of people who are amassing for themselves. It says they're, they're building a name for themselves with their new technology to essentially place themselves over every other group, every other tribe, every other city, every other culture. They're saying, we are the the name. We are the ones. We are better. And we might say this picture of Babylon is going to be almost like a type that we're going to see all throughout the biblical story. Babylon represents human desire for power, uh, human uh, corruption of power that leads to injustice, that leads to enslavement, that leads to pain, that leads to greed. Babylon will be a type of this power that we're going to see all throughout the biblical story. And when we turn in the biblical narrative, what's so fascinating is it's not like God gave up on humans. God wants to work through humans. He gifts them power so that they might bring the beauty of Yahweh out into the rest of the world. We have thwarted that and hijacked that. What will Yahweh do? 
He keeps going with the plan. He chooses Abraham and his family, and he calls them to Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 and says, okay, through you, I'll make a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. What's he doing? What's Yahweh doing? Okay, we have a this ripple effects of the fall have gone out. Injustice has spread everywhere. I'll call a group of people, and they will bring justice and beauty and rightness out into the world. And we have to have a, a bit of a, a category shift or maybe a, just a definition help, different definitional shift for us. There's, there's two concepts of justice that we see. One concept of justice is uh, we might call it retributive justice. Do you want to define that? You could go for uh, it. Re- re- I love setting you up for something that I didn't tell you <laughs> I was going to. Yeah. Retributive justice would be this. When somebody wrongs you, yeah. you get payback. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It, it. sets the society right. And so yep. when somebody does something wrong, they go to jail and society comes back to a neutral, you might say. Yep. And we need retributive justice. So that would be like if, if I'm stolen from... There's retribution and whenever yeah. whatever is stolen is repaid. And you can hear the retributive comes from retribution. So right. retribution is paid and now things are back to even keel. Got it. There's also what we might call restorative justice. Restorative justice would be not just keeping things on an even keel. Mm-hmm. It would be seeking justice, seeking those that are vulnerable, seeking those that are in pain that are broken and restore re- elevating them out of that place. It'd be intentionally looking for where there is injustice, mm-hmm. and we might say bringing that injustice to bear and going after it. Would you mind even just defining the term justice for us? We're saying we're saying justice and injustice. Mm-hmm. Where do those concepts come from? So in the Hebrew, this this concept, the, the word justice in Hebrew comes from this Hebrew word mishpat, and yep. uh, there's another word that's frequently said with it, which is the word righteousness, which is sedekah. It's uh-huh. always fun to say it's sedekah is righteousness, and the, maybe the easiest way for me to try to think about it is when you see a crooked thing, yep. something that is not straight, that would be something that is not sedekah. It's not okay. right. It's it's crooked. It's it's off. And to bring straightness to that, and mm-hmm. we can talk about that with moral, with morality, we can talk about that socially, mm-hmm. that would be to do tzedakah, to do justice. Now, take that small concept and apply it across the board in culture, across the board in individuals, with families, and that would be what it looks like to bring where there is disorder and crookedness to bring order and straightness along with, we might say, the the value and the law of Yahweh as he's revealed himself. So the straightness is what we get from Genesis 1. That, yes. That's the image-bearing humanity as royal and royalty in the image of God, flourishing in the earth God made. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that, the straightness. Yeah, that, that, exactly. I think that, that, that brings clarity. So, cool. yeah, that, I, I, hope, I hope this is helpful because when we see the people of Israel in, in, in the Hebrew story as it unfolds, uh, let's look at the book of Amos because what we're going to see is not only did the, 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 the infection of sin ripple out and touch all peoples in the world, now instead of bringing that power for good, we use it to fight each other. And we see that with individuals and with cultures and with cities and with nations. But the nation of Israel also failed. The nation of Israel also fell victim to this. And Amos, I think, is instructive here. Look at Amos chapter 1. What the, the prophet Amos is doing is he's bringing a, we might say, a decisive voice on this issue. Uh, read Amos chapter 1 verse 3. First, the, the prophet Amos will talk about the non-Jewish nation, nations and say, here's how you're doing with justice, with the, quote, image of God. 1-3. Okay, Amos 1-3. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent. 
Because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. So there's another nation, and the people of Damascus, with the Syrian nation, okay. has threshed people. Like mm. as if they, they, they've dehumanized them. So to thresh, that's like a farming term. Like a farming term. So you're treating people as like a resource to be exploited exactly. for your own good. Exactly. Uh, Amos 1.6. Okay, Amos 1.6. This is what the Lord says, For three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not relent, because she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom. I think we know. <laughs> yeah, so again, you're treating people like a resource. Mm-hmm. You're, you're taking them and selling them. Okay. And, we, and we've got to, just as a quick aside, as as Americans, we've got to recognize the deep, deep, we might say, the, the great sickness and great evil that has been slavery in our country. If, it, if Amos had been writing in the 19th century, he would have said, three sins I hold against the United States, United States. even yeah. four, you took captive. Yeah. And we, we've got to, to brush it under the rug. We, we can't do that. We've got to be honest in our assessment. We always want to assume yeah. that the United States is going to be the blessing at the end of these mm-hmm. prophets. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> based on our reading here. Uh, it's right there. <laughs> we, would have, we would have made this list. What about Amos 1.9? Amos 1.9. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Tyre, even for four, I will not relent, because she sold whole communities of captives to Edom, disregarding a treaty of brotherhood. So not only... Uh, the injustice of slavery, treating people like resources, but a whole system of dishonesty, a system Mm -hmm. of of victory, a system of going against treaties that have been made. What about verse 11? Verse 11, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Edom, even for four, I will not relent because he pursued his brother with a sword and slaughtered the women of the land. 13, verse 13. Verse 13, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Ammon, even for four, I will not relent because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. This national security, we've got to extend our borders. We've got to produce our safety and our security. We want to enlarge our territory yeah. at the wow. expense of humans. And and Amos is coming strong here. Now, the reason we're, we're, we're looking at this before we turn to the New Testament is, remember, God called Israel to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, that they might bring the goodness of God into the rest of the world. Look at chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Uh, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, this is what the Lord says, For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. This ripple effect of the fall has extended even to God's chosen kingdom, and now the same injustices that plagued the nations are plaguing Israel. Yeah. And I think when we look at the Old Testament narrative, and maybe the best place to see it, if you would turn over to Micah real fast and give, get, uh, read Micah chapter 6, because this is one of the more, I think, uh, just clear passages in all of the Old Testament is uh, uh, about this concept is Micah chapter 6. Remember, Israel is supposed to bring restorative justice. Can I go back yeah, on one please. thing on Amos real quick? Just because um, I, I, think, I think this is interesting because when we talk about justice— in in the, the Christian church, oftentimes, again, on a conservative divide, they, they want to make it an either-or between two really big social issues, mm-hmm. um, one of them being race and the other being abortion mm-hmm. and unborn children. And I think it's interesting here that in Amos chapter 1, in two examples mm-hmm. of injustice, we get oppression of the foreigner and slavery, and then we get an a horrible practice of whip, ripping, ripping open ba- ripping pregnant, pregnant women. women, killing their babies. And so 
in like the chapter on injustice, they both sit next they to each both other. Sit next this to is each other. not an either yeah. or no. between two different no. kinds of injustice. And that, and so. that, that thank you for pointing yep. that out. Uh, it's it's right there on the page. Right. And my Micah, so this is this is Yahweh's assessment of the nations and now Israel in the Old Testament. And remember, this is what this is what Yahweh is after. He's called Israel to be this. And look at Micah chapter six verse eight. He's he's he summarizes this in speaking to through the prophet Micah to Israel and just hear it. I, okay. I just love this, this passage. Micah 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Like, this is Israel's call. We need, a, we need human representatives to bring justice, restorative justice, mm-hmm righteousness to make crooked things straight in the world. The ripple effects of the fall have have gone out and they have enslaved. And we need a people, we need a kingdom of people who walk humbly with Yahweh, but then go seek those places where they're crooked, go seek those places of injustice, and instead bring straightness, moral straightness, and social straightness, and love, and like you said, to get us back to the image of God. With all that in, the, in mind, as we turn to the New Testament, mm-hmm. like there's our Old Testament story. That's what God is after. And I think we're answering our question, can we separate justice? Can we separate social from the gospel? Look at what Jesus does. It's not, it's, compl- it's completely intentional and not lost on me that in Mark chapter one, so the gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus is presented as uh, the, the, the great picture of Yahweh coming to visit his people and right off the bat, in the, the very first gospel written, the gospel of Mark, verse 14, page 1, it says this. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee. Now notice, he's proclaiming the gospel, the euangelion, the, the gospel. Good news is, the good news is what's translated in the NIV. Jesus comes proclaiming the gospel. Okay, so in our question, social justice gospel... Right. We're about to get, we're about here to get we go. gospel here. And, and it, I think for a lot of us, we go, okay, that's going to be talking about my individual forgiveness of sins that I go to heaven. Right. Now, look at what Jesus says. Now, I'm not diminishing that. I'm not saying that that's not a significant sure. part of the gospel, but look at what Jesus says. He's proclaiming the gospel of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God. That thing that we've been expecting where justice and rightness will go out into the world, flipping on its head the power systems of the world and bringing order and straightness where there was crookedness, that kingdom of God has come near. Hmm. Repent and believe the gospel. Hmm. Here's the proclamation. And notice what Jesus starts doing, interacting with broken people, interacting with people that are ostracized from community, interacting with Gentiles that are not the same race as him. He starts seeking out the crooked places. Yeah. And bringing straightness, and it necessarily creates a conflict with the people who are in power in his day. Uh, maybe the place where Jesus distills his this kingdom ethic. What does it look like to be to rightly relate to Jesus as King? Is in the Sermon on the Mount, right? And we, we were familiar, I think, with Jesus calling the church his followers light, salt, light. Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew five to seven. But read for us right before that. We call them the Beatitudes. Read for us, Nick, Matthew 5, verse 6. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
or they will be filled. So here's our here's our word. There it is. Yep. And uh, the Hebrew word it's sedekah. The new the Greek New Testament word is dikaiosune. Yep. And I I think most of my life I thought what this verse was getting at was something like this: Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for being a good person. Right, righteousness is me trying to be a really good person so that God is pleased with me, mm-hmm. something like that. And that is to miss in a huge way what oftentimes the biblical concept of dikaiosune is. It it comes from the root word. Uh, the The root of that word is the same root where we get our verb dikaio, which is often translated as to justify. Mm-hmm. So the root of dikaiosune is justice or rightness, both morally, culturally, socially, crooked things being made straight. That's the root of what this is. And we can mean righteousness in our relationship with God, where it's off and crooked and God straightens it. I think that's the idea of we receive the righteousness of God in Jesus. But what we're to do here, how do we become salt and light in the world? The Beatitudes, and one of those is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, rightness in the world. What, how, do we, how, how will people see light in our world? Verse 16 in chapter 5, they'll see because they'll see our good deeds, and they'll give glory to our God in heaven. Uh, Eugene Peterson, I think, in summing a lot of this up for us, uh, he's the translator of the message, mm-hmm. uh, translation of our Bible, and a prolific author. He says this, and I think he's onto something. He says, the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ is more political than anyone imagines, but in a way that no one guesses. Hmm. Let me read it again. The gospel of Jesus Christ is more political than anyone imagines, but in a way no one guesses. And I think what's, I'm wondering what Peterson means by that. How, how is the gospel political and how is it different than we might expect? And, and I think this is where a lot of people get stuck on this question of, of politics and, and the gospel. And, and maybe this might be where we kind of wrap up and close this thought about seeking justice is the gospel is political in that it should affect society. Mm-hmm. Like the good news of Jesus should not just change what's going on inside my heart, but it should change my interactions. And to the extent that the church exists in the world, that world should look different. Because of our presence. Um, that's what salt and light means. So the gospel is not just about what's going on inside my own little heart. It, it should affect society. What's different than what we might guess is it is not political in the sense that we uh, have a, a Christian political party and try to take over the government. Totally. And try to advance <laughs> our cause via government. One of my favorite professors, Daryl Box, says it this way. We get in trouble when we try to extend the kingdom of God beyond the king of God, the king. Mm-hmm. And so when we try to say, hey, let's advance the kingdom and we leave Jesus back here and we just go out there trying to advance our causes beyond submission to the king, uh, that's almost always where we get into a place of compromise. And I would add to that, when we try to extend the kingdom of God and his, our Messiah's message by using the power systems of our world, yeah. we are necessarily destined to fail. We're, we're getting back into that same problem all yes. the way back of, of seeking power. So think about what Jesus does. Jesus comes and flips the power st- systems of the world on its head. He says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And the cross is why I, I, just, I, I was thinking about this before we had this conversation. How will Christians have the courage to do this? And the answer is the cross. Mm-hmm. On the cross, 
Jesus, the just for the unjust, the innocent for the condemned, the holy one for the broken, in his death and resurrection, he enabled the power of this good news to break through literally all the unjust power systems in the world. And in that, he's exposed that sin and death have been defeated, and he has been victorious. And he did so through being crucified. He lived a cross-shaped life, and in his resurrection showed that the powers of the world have failed, and there's a new way of living. It's a cross-shaped way of living. And so Christians, we step into the crooked things and into the darkness, but we do so knowing that all the systems of unjust injustice and all the systems of racial tyranny and all the systems that are, that are aligned with that power uh, that the world tries to take on its own, the power of Babylon, we might say, have already lost and our king has won. But his crown wasn't made of gold. His crown was a crown of thorns. Mm. So will we be willing to go out with a cross-shaped, thorny crown in our world, not seeking the power system of the world, but following our king in a cross-shaped life. It's, that's so profound. So I think that's why Peterson says, it's more political than anyone imagines, but in a way that nobody guesses. So maybe as we go forward, and we're going to have more conversations to come, but maybe the first question to ask, if greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friend. Perhaps a question for us to think as a church as we're, we're wrestling with um, with this issue of justice and racial injustice is, am I prepared to lay down my life for my brother with a different color skin than mine? It's profound. It's a profound question. And so I think that's where we'll leave the conversation for now before we pick it up next time.